As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome back to Pod on the Tyne, your dedicated Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. My name's Taylor Payne and I'm joined ably by Mr. Chris Woff and Mr. George Colgan. How are you doing, Chris? Are you alright there? I've just got this lingering sense of heartache from Saturday night. It just is, this just isn't going away. That pain just doesn't just doesn't subside, does it? it sounds like a Leonard Cohen song we've started, <laughs> yeah. What's going on? <laughs> Tell you what, we were saying last weekend, weren't we? Like if Carlsberg did weekends. I know. And it's like and then the one we've just had, I don't know if if like shit did oh, weekends. Like, nice, yeah, nice, yeah. Well this would be a Carlsberg special brew weekend, wouldn't it? Let's be honest this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Life comes at you fast. It certainly does, doesn't it? It was a tough one to take. I was in uh, I was in Germany for the weekend. It was lovely. It was in the uh, the city of Berlin, uh, and it was freezing cold. And it was a different kind of cold, George. If you know that kind of cold that I'm talking about, the kind of cold that goes right through to your bones and doesn't leave you for about. I thought you were going to say something else there. Kind of different part of your body, but I have that cold. Whatever I do, Chris did his usual stupid weather report when he got to St James's Park nine hours before kickoff. Saw and that. Said it yeah. was, and said it was a mild. It was mild winter's day, and it was absolutely freezing. I had my big coat on, I had a turtleneck jumper on, I brought my gloves. Yeah. He looked like he was going to the North Pole. Yeah. <laughs> Your pants must have been on fire, Chris. You liar. It wasn't that cold at all. Uh, right, okay. Uh, did anyone see, actually, Jacob got himself in a bit of bother, didn't he? Did he say this? From the last podcast, yeah. He, he deadpanned it too well, didn't he? People just almost thought he was serious when he said he'd made 14 slices of toast. He's an arsonist. Nearly burnt down. The suggestion I've seen is an arsonist. First syllable of that, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so it sort of it didn't, it didn't exactly go viral on Twitter, but people who must have been in the same office complex as the Athletic HQ were saying, oh, this is the reason why we all got kicked out on uh, Thursday. And it became like, so Jacob, yeah, Jacob the arsonist. Just goes to show you've got to be very careful what you say on this podcast, haven't you? Because it can get anywhere. Uh, Somebody emailed us in as well saying, following the no taste for accountant, I just want to uh, say that Jacob definitely doesn't understand the definition of the word snack. 14 slices of toast is something you get put on a register for. (laughs) (laughs) 
which is fair enough. Have a great day. Uh, signed, Robin. Uh, Robin, Jacob was joking. He doesn't eat 14 slices of toast at a time, and I would recommend that nobody does that because that is very dangerous. Yeah. Right, then, get yourselves in touch if you want to uh, email in, like Robin, uh, at Pod on the Tine on Twitter or X, or email us at Pod on the Tine at theathletic.com. Right, chaps, let's crack on. Lots to discuss today. We've got some great stuff coming up later from Alan Shearer's chat with Alexander Izak and a full roundup of the Manchester doubleheader. Starting with the Manchester City game, around about now. Kyle Walker's low cross is turned in. Bernardo Silva has scored at the near post. He's kept the ball in on the far side of Van Bruno in midfield. Now for Isak to chase. Played in behind by Bruno's ball. Isak into the penalty area. Oh, what a goal! What a finish! What a finish! Alexander Isak. That is top quality. And plays it to Trippier. It's a sensible ball. He looks for Isak, who charges down Ruben Diaz's clearance. is trouble Alvarez into the final third Kyle Walker racing into the penalty area and Newcastle just managed to protect the goal brilliant defending and they get a free kick for a foul in the box there's a player down in the six yard box it might be Bruno De Bruyne has got space he's got plenty of it edge of the area drives it into the bottom corner dear oh dear and we are level again it's Newcastle United 2 Manchester City second, De Bruyne into the area looking for Bob, Oscar Bob is there and has scored, he's taken it around Dubravka, having nipped in behind Trippier and Newcastle United might just have lost this in added on time. Yes Chris, there you go. it never gets any easier does it seeing Newcastle get beat in the last minute of a game? No it doesn't and particularly when for the fact that they'd recovered from falling a goal behind, as they did under Rafa Benitez the last time that they actually beat Manchester City in the league, because we went through last week that their record in the Premier League against Manchester City is absolutely horrendous. But there were there were shades of last season's 3-3 draw, other than the fact that Newcastle only scored twice and didn't score three and so ended up losing. But it was there were, there, was, there were shades of that and that Newcastle were very much in the game at certain points and having fallen behind so early on, I think at that point there was almost that trepidation of, oh, this could be a yeah. bad evening for Newcastle. But they didn't, they recovered really well. And then to get through the matches they did and, and, and it felt almost inevitable in the last 10 minutes the way things were going. But equally, they'd, they'd managed to get to injury time. The clock goes up, it's only three minutes and then that happens. So, yeah. When you say that, Taylor, it has become a theme and it's become a theme in massive occasions so I mean I might have missed some out but sort of thinking back it's Liverpool it's Paris Saint-Germain away that sort of uh, last gasp heartbreak there and sort of injustice to Chelsea in the League Cup yes and then this and so it's like it's not just that it's happened a few times it's happened a few times in these absolutely sort of massive games and uh, and massive occasions and yeah, the, the the difficult thing about this match and also the positive, and so it's like both of these things are sort of wrestling in my head naked in front of an open fire, a bit like Oliver Reed and whoever else it was on Women in Love. <laughs> 
I can't decide if it's sort of overall if it's good or bad, but I think it's probably bad. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know where that came he, from or where it was going. Who, did, who was he wrestling with? Women in Love. Oliver Reed, naked in front of an open fire. Another man. I have no idea. I mean, clearly, no it's, idea. It's, it's etched in your memory, so the, the, the image at least. So. <laughs> so Some of it is, yeah. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. My God. Alan Bates, yes, that's right. Yeah. There we go. All right. Uh, I'm going to drag this back to reality, Chris, if that's all right. Uh, the ball's in the net, isn't it, inside three minutes. The offside flag doesn't go up until Edison collides with Kyle Walker and Longstaff and completely knacks himself. Flag should probably go up early, shouldn't it? Well, the sort of if he's clearly offside, and I didn't think he was. I mean, what he was offside, but it wasn't like miles off. Well, I thought he was offside. You should be able to eyeball that, surely. Well, when you first look at back, it, the, the the benefit of the doubt is meant to go to the attack. That, that's the way the rules are. Now, I, under, I understand the issues that people have with that, but I thought initially, oh, he must be offside. But you look back, I didn't think it was miles off. And when I've seen the, I've seen the replays, and I didn't think it was miles. It, mm. He was offside. I was watching but, the TV coverage, and I thought instantly, as soon as the pass is played, I thought he's off to pointless even celebrating. This is the thing, right? So I said offside. I said he's offside at the time, and I'm not often right, but I was right about that. This whole thing about having a flag but delaying putting the flag up is just nonsensical to me. It's either the either the linesman either thinks he's offside or he's or he doesn't think he's offside. But the whole the, the whole reason the VAR is there is that it's meant to be that if it's a marginal one, so rather than the linesman put his flag up initially, you let the play go on a little bit to see if there is an attacking advantage. Because if he puts the flag yeah. up and you're not offside, then he stopped entirely the the entire attack. And it might turn out that actually he wasn't offside. It was a very marginal onside. Also, just never bother putting your flag up at all and just let VAR check it. What's the point of linesman? Why bother? Is that what you're saying now? Why, why have a linesman? Yeah. And by delaying it there, the game's gone on and Edison's ended up getting injured. Yes, he, ha- he has. Everyone's kept equally, going. If, if, if he had been onside, then Newcastle have also taken the lead. Whereas if he puts the flag up and then it turns out that the Isak was onside, then you've denied Newcastle the opportunity to take a lead inside three minutes against Manchester City. VAR is stupid. I mean, it is. I mean, I agree with that. Why do, why, why do we even care about this? I don't know. Because it happened early doors in the game, and it sort of set the tone, didn't it? And and Yeah, and in terms of the move, Edison had to go off. Yeah, I mean, Edison had to go yeah. off, and that was significant for them, because he also nearly, before he did go off, there was also the incident immediately afterwards where he was closed down by Miguel Almiron and ended up kicking the ball directly into him. And if uh, if the ball hadn't bobbled a little bit in front of Bruno Gamaraes, he could have potentially set up Isak to score. That was just a few minutes later before he did go off. But what it did set the tone for, that initial... He was caught offside, Alexander Isak, and Newcastle were caught offside a few times. Almiron was early on as well, but that was Newcastle's game plan. Manchester City were com- committing bodies forward, and Newcastle had the pace through Gordon, Alexander Isak, and Miguel Almiron to get in behind and try and really put the frighteners at them. And certainly first half, I mean, Alexander Isak terrified Manchester City's back line. It's a good point. We we were sort of doing like a live a live blog thing for the Athletic and sort of looking at the stats. It was sort of it was pretty traditional. It's pretty usual in terms of. Uh, games against Man City and that Newcastle had about 30% yeah. possession and City had 70 but actually watching it it felt like an end-to-end game because there were moments when Newcastle were really causing them problems and it did feel like this was a match I think even e- even in those early moments even when City are seeing all the ball like they did you were sort of thinking that there's a there's a chance for Newcastle to get something here. Yeah it did feel like that at the start and then of course what happens Chris City go up the other end and they score Bernardo Silva 
uh, with a cheeky little flick, I think we'll call that. Uh, Carl Walker, the provider. Uh, and his positioning was a bit of a problem for us, wasn't it, Chris? He was down that right-hand side. He was very high. And also, our bench were incredibly angry at uh, Ruben Diaz for his uh, what they thought was a foul on Anthony Gordon in the build-up as well. It wasn't just the bench. Anthony Gordon himself was annoyed. Dan yeah. Byrne. Dan in, Byrne in, in, didn't in, look yeah, at me at all, Magic Manchester City celebrated their goal. Dan Burton went across and, and basically got involved in those celebrations and had a bit of a goal. Yeah. A lot of the Newcastle players were very frustrated. And, and I mean, I see this in two ways. I did... The more that I see it, the, the less I think it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of clear foul. I do think it is a foul because I think he basically forces Gordon to have to go off the pit. The way that he puts his body is I think he basically is obstructing the ball. The more I see it, the less I think it was as clear cut a foul as when it was directly in front of me. But I did think it was a foul and I can see why Newcastle frustrated. But that doesn't directly lead to the goal. Newcastle can still do better in the meantime of that going to the goal. It wasn't as if Diaz doesn't give a foul away, the throw in is taken and their Man City score with the next kick. They still have to go up the other end and score. And there is far too much of a gap on the right-hand side for Kyle Walker for whatever reason. I think partly that is because Newcastle were committing Anthony Gordon and Miguel Almiron forward at times. It was a risk-reward to what they were trying to do. And it was when they did break, they wanted their wingers and Alexander Isak to be forward so they could get in behind, which meant that they weren't always tracking. Sometimes they did follow Walker and Guardiola on both sides who were going really, really high, but not always. And that was one of the occasions where Gordon wasn't back far enough, maybe. Dan Byrne was sort of in, in tighter because Man City had the ball across and then it switched from one side to the other by Jeremy Doku and then Walker puts the ball in and it's slightly behind Bernardo Silva who's basically one-on-one with, with, with Botman and Botman stays goal side of him and yet somehow the beautiful flick from Bernardo Silva I mean all five goals in this game were very good in their own right but that was an absolutely sublime flick yes, It was quite oh, Jose Perez-esque I thought that's yeah. Maybe that's what who he's been watching when he's learned that. West Brom away. That's the one, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and City's uh, replacement keeper, he almost recreated that awful Edison moment shortly after that. Uh, we had an incredible turnaround, didn't we, George? Alexander Izak finishing that sublime ball over the top from Bruno, who didn't even seem to look to see where Izak was. He just sort of played it and knew he was there. Uh, and then Anthony Gordon's signature move, as described perfectly by uh, Jacob on Friday. Yeah, it was fabulous. It was, you know, as Chris says, talking about the about the foul or no foul on Gordon. What it did was it sort of electrified everybody, and we saw once again that that's you know that sight of Newcastle playing angry. Yes, and I love I love it when Newcastle do that, and it was just those sort of they were just they became unstoppable. They did. So when I made that comparison that was uncomfortable you know absolutely uncomfortable for all of us only a short while ago to Oliver Reed and Alan Bates wrestling naked in my own head in front of a of a roaring fire what I was talking about was that the there was part of the game that was absolutely sensational and it was that moment and this was Newcastle back at their best and they played angry they were quick they were aggressive they were in the face they were on the front foot and it was just oh man it was it was brilliant and we know how dreadful their record has been after going a goal behind in matches it remains dreadful because of what happened at the end but this was a sort of proper response and yeah the football was just brilliant it was sublime it was quick it was one touch Isak's finish was glorious we're going to come on to talk about him a bit longer with the interview from Alan from work but the way you know the way he turns the way he lets the ball do the work and then the way he sort of caresses it in at the end absolutely fantastic and you know, I sort of want to take those moments away from the match, even though it's very difficult because of because of the way it sort of turned out. Because we did see in patches Newcastle absolutely doing their swarming thing in a way that we've just not seen for a long time. And so, 
yeah, that, it was great. It was a great spell of play. It was, and Chris City are rocking at this point, aren't they? And Alexander Isak goes clear through on goal and should maybe make it three, really. They're, they're playing great counter-attacking football as well. Uh, but I feel like that chance the game hinges on that. If Isak makes that 3-1, I think we have a different game altogether, don't we? Possibly, yeah. I mean, he's, he, he seems to be away. Again, that's, a, that's Newcastle coming from back to front. It's Lewis Miley who plays a wonderful ball in behind. Does, yeah. Absolutely perfectly weighted. And then Isak, he almost gets forced a little bit wide. There's a, I don't know who the, the Man City player is just behind him, but he sort of forces him a little bit wide. You can feel his presence there. And then Ortega sort of stands up and then he... I don't know if Isak gets caught in between two minds or what, but he sort of just rifles the ball straight at him and it's saved. But just to just to reiterate George's point about the previous two goals, I thought the first goal in particular showed this Newcastle side their best. If you look at where it actually originates from, Fabian Share coming out of defence, it's that risk-reward again. Newcastle sometimes do that, and we're going to get onto this with what happens when Kevin De Bruyne comes on and there's a big gap between the defence and midfield. Part of the reason why there's sometimes a big gap between defence and midfield is because Newcastle press and they take chances when doing that. They leave gaps elsewhere because they have all three midfielders pressing, but they also have centre-backs or full-backs will come out and try and nick the ball, and that's what Share does, and he's forced out of the right-hand side, wins it after basically two sliding challenges almost it's a bit of an odd way that he does it but that determination to get the ball gives it inside Bruno no look wonderful ball through and Isak finishes and that showed the quality this Newcastle side does have when things are clicking and they're in game particularly at St James's Park and yeah I agree with you if Newcastle go 3-1 up at that point I thought Man City were they needed half time Man City because that final 10 minutes of the first half yeah. Unlike for the most of the rest of the game, they actually did give the ball away deep. Newcastle's pressing did really affect them. And there were a few half openings when Newcastle won the ball high, but didn't quite get the opportunity to actually finish it off. And I think a third goal at that point, maybe City would have been, Man City would have been in greater disarray. Howe said afterwards, the first half was everything we want to be. We wanted to be aggressive in front foot. When you do that, you take risks, but those risks are worth it. And again, you know, there was a cleverness to the way they did it, the way they pressed, the way they were so quick in transition. It was great to see. It was great to see that. Yeah, and that second half, George, like you said, it, it changes, doesn't it? And City start to dominate possession again. Dan Byrne was lucky to escape a yellow card for pulling down Rodri. And, you know, we've seen this on through social media. Fans are saying they parked the bus too early. I felt like that at the time when I was watching the match. I thought they went too early. They went too deep too early. And against a team like City, you're giving them too much of an opportunity to get through you. But obviously there's mitigating circumstances there as well, isn't there? Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I mean, it's I don't think that was a... Eddie Howe tactic at half time to say we've got the lead we have to protect yeah. it in fact he said afterwards it it wasn't that he was frustrated at the way that the team sort of retreated at that point I think partially you're playing against Man City you're playing against arguably the best team in the world so you're naturally pushed back I think once you've got that lead um, albeit you know Newcastle are a team that wants to kind of score goals I think there is that just natural psychological thing where you try and protect it and so it did become too passive. Now, the other side of it, which we'll come on to in, in a little bit, is that you've also got a team that's starting to tire. And so what do you do in those circumstances? Well, we saw what City were able to do to try and change the game, and Newcastle weren't able to do the same thing. Yeah. So it's tough. They didn't handle it well. They didn't manage the game well in the way that they managed it in the first half. It wasn't a deliberate tactic. It's tough, Chris, isn't it? Because... You know, we only have a certain amount of players who are fit, who are fit and available. We can't really change things that well. And 
I think the the half time came at a bad time for Newcastle and a great time for City, didn't it? And it kind of took our took the inertia out of Newcastle and and, and handed all of the impetus to City. Yeah, I said before I thought Man City needed that and, and Guardiola, I don't know exactly what his message was at half-time, but he managed to change a few things around tactically and, and, and as they came out for the second half, it was Man City dominated the ball and eventually that is both physically and psychologically draining for the home side, regardless of regardless of whether Newcastle had been in a situation where they could have maybe changed things and we're going to come on to the substitutes a bit later on. I also think that you have to take into account how difficult that is as a footballer, how how much that saps out of you to have Man City in the way that they control the ball and you can't switch off for a second. When you do switch off for a second, you tend to get punished as Newcastle were. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Let's talk about Bruno Gimaraes as well. We got the whole gamut from him, didn't we, on the night? He fluffed an early chance, redeemed himself uh, with a great tackle from Doku's cross early on as well. Then he gets a yellow for sliding through Kovacic, which he seems to get a lot of bookings at the minute. It's a bad yellow. Did he want to come off, Chris? This is what I'm going to ask you. You you had a little bit of insight in this. Did the bench want to bring him off uh, just after he made that amazing block in the six-yard box? Or uh, was it was it him asking to come off or did he want to stay on or? So he came out for the second half, Bruno Gimaraes, and I don't think he had it on the first half, but on his left hamstring it was heavily strapped and he seemed to be running a bit gingerly and there was quite a lot of conversations between him and Howe and the bench in general, basically, are you all right to continue? And you can see he wasn't fully going up down. He made that, that sort of wonderful block and at that point, Newcastle's physio was up, was on the touchline and ready to come on, seemingly. And Bruno sort of gestured as if to say, I give it another 10 minutes to say how I am. Newcastle had actually made the decision to fill in the form which he needs right. to make a substitution. And Jamal Lascelles was called back across the bench. So Jamal Lascelles was ready to come on for Bruno Gimaraes. Whether that means that Newcastle would have gone to five at the back, whether Fabian Scher would have gone into midfield, whether it would have been some other change, I don't exactly know. But that was the change Newcastle were planning to make at that stage. But Bruno Gimaraes basically said, no, I'll stay on and we'll see how I am. And obviously he lasted through the match. After the game, I asked to try and interview him in the mix zone. He said no, and I think that's partly to do with the fact that the transfer window is currently open. So I don't think I don't think Newcastle necessarily want him to be out there speaking, yeah. given all of the links and given uh, what we said about financial fair play. But then, as he was walking off, I shouted after him, "How's the hamstring?" To which he turned round and gestured, and uh, he basically held his hand out and sort of wavered it from side to side, as if to say, "Unsure." In French, you might say, come see, come sad. I don't know what, what you'd necessarily say in English, but basically, unsure, we'll wait and see. So the fact there's a two-week break is a positive yeah. in that st- sense. But if Bruno Gimaraes has an injury, we know how reliant Newcastle United are on him. So hopefully, hopefully that doesn't keep him out for any period. 
just I mean we should do this more often I'd just like to praise Chris for actually doing this whole podcast in his second language English when I mean he's so he's so fluent in French unbelievable really we we do forget this we do forget this um again how said afterwards he referenced all the injuries that they have to attacking players and he said you know when you're in that situation it's very difficult if the injuries were more spread out it wouldn't be so defining for us but I'm in that position where I'm thinking do I bring a defender on which is a sort of negative substitution and you're taking off an attacking player I didn't really want to do that now obviously Bruno's injury was was all right enough for him to continue although that's the decision that they took but that sort of dilemma is okay do I take off our playmaker who's incredibly important to us he does tend to sort of dictate the tempo of the way we play and bring on a third center half presumably go five at the back as Chris said and then try and hang on and then you're you're in the sort of Benitez Rafa sort of style game plan when it's all about sort of minimizing uh you know chances for the opposition and all the rest of it and the, ah, I said all the rest of it Chris you'll you'll be you'll be happy now um <laughs> I mean, in retrospect, should it should he have done that? I mean, is there a case to to be said? Okay, the game had turned, Newcastle were tiring. They should have brought on that third centre half. But you also know, with a team as good as City, it sort of doesn't matter what you do; they can find a way. So I don't know. I just think it's really tough. But it's an interesting. I think I think one of the things that we've not really sort of spoken about a great deal is that whole thing of should Newcastle in being presented with this injury crisis should they have fundamentally tried to change the way they play football matches because although the way they've played has changed because they can't bring on subs they've stuck with more or less the same team and more or less stuck with the same way of playing I don't know just throwing it out there two points to sort of pick up on there the first one is not only would it be seen as a negative substitution to take Bruno Gimaraes off, what is Newcastle's issue in second half of matches? Or It's mainly in away games, but it was very present in this match against Man City at home because they had so much of the ball. They don't keep hold of the ball well enough. One of the few players who maybe can do that is Bruno Gimaraes. And if you take him off, where is the outlet? Now, Gordon, Isak and Almiron seem to be knackered in the second half, but in theory, if they'd been able to get in behind, then Bruno is the one you'd expect to be able to supply the pass. Yeah. So I also understand that regard. In the other one, in terms of his yellow cards, he's now on nine yellow cards for the season. He's already missed one match through suspension. It's going to be, it's basically inevitable. He's going to get a two-match suspension at some point. Yeah. Given that Joe Linton's out for another a few weeks at least given that we aren't yet sure when Joe Willock's going to be back and that they are down the bare bones in midfield the issues Newcastle have in midfield Howe spoke on Friday about basically suggested he was asked directly would you make a short-term signing and he said ideally in most situations no but given where we are now I would be more than happy to do that because we need players to help us and you look at that midfield situation if Bruno is going to be suspended for two games potentially next month we know that Newcastle basically don't win without him yeah. I think that the case is becoming almost unquestionable that regardless of the FFP situation if Newcastle can get a player in at least on loan in midfield I think they simply have to do it. Yes, I would agree with that. Uh, it came down in the end, George, didn't it? To a tale of two benches. City can bring on Kevin De Bruyne and can afford to ignore £100 million worth of Jack Grealish and Calvin Phillips. A player how would uh, love to sign on loan as well, as Chris has just said. Yeah, it's funny. We were sitting next to, to Sam Lee, our, our City writer, and we were sort of talking about this. And he was... I mean, he was like pushing back at this idea that City had a strong bench. He was saying that if you talk to City fans, they wouldn't say that that was Did a he say strong our bench? City bench. And I was like, <laughs> well, I was kind of laughing. I was like saying, okay, fair enough. But I mean, you've got De Bruyne, who is unquestionably 
one of the very best players in the world. Yeah. You've got Grealish, £100 million, not too long ago, a British world record signing. Calvin Phillips, £45 million quid. A British world record? Is that what I said? British world record? Yeah. Sorry, I'll do that properly. I'll do that again. <laughs> Un British uh, uh, record de monde. <laughs> I hope that's that's better for you, Chris. And, I understood and, that perfectly. That's and cool. and Phillips, like, who cost £45 million or whatever and is just an utter irrelevance at City but would walk into Newcastle's team at the minute. Yeah. And, you know, so that, that thing where I'm also sort of talking about Lascelles and Bruno, at the same time as that conversation was happening on the Newcastle bench about whether he comes on or not, Kevin De Bruyne is getting ready on the City bench and then, of course, comes on. Now, could Newcastle have done more to stop De Bruyne to stop the equaliser to stop the winning goal of course they could but you know you are talking about an absolute you know you're talking about somebody who can change a game on his own and that's what happened in the end the only substitution that Eddie Howe made was to bring on Lewis Hall in the 86th minute to play him on the wing yeah. so he's out of position and I'm I'm not trying to sort of you know I'm not I'm not trying to use that as an excuse because Again, this wrestling match in my own head, it's between kind of positivity and negativity. But they just weren't able to do what City could do, which was to bring on two substitutes who absolutely changed things for them. And so we're back in that position where, albeit after a f- free week on the on the training pitch, they've clearly been able to work out some issues. There's clearly a bit of positive momentum with them post-Sunderland. And in the first half... They looked back to their best in spells against a world-class team. But in the second half, it was the same story because the way they play is so much based on energy and running and aggression and and that sort of stuff. And it just slowly drained out of them. And you're talking about bringing on Lascelles. You're talking about Dummett. You're talking about two keepers, third and fourth choices. You're talking about two kids who haven't started a league match for the club. You're talking about Matt Ritchie, who hasn't started a league match for Newcastle um, since 2021. And there was just the same sort of options just just were not there. I get that De Bruyne is a, a world-class footballer. I get that. But even if the player they bring on isn't a world-class footballer, why does he get that much space? Why is he given that much space in between the lines to do what he does? Because well, even if you give a, even if you give, you know, somebody else that much space, you've 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 dropped a bollock straight away. Surely somebody, when he comes on, should think, right, I'm gonna take responsibility here and I'm gonna I'm gonna drop ten yards. Of course. Of and, course, and pick of him course, up but because I, you can't let him but, have that much room. No, I, I agree, and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that you know that that you still have to be able to close games out or try and close games out. Again, I suppose what I would say if you're if you're looking for a reason or looking for excuses that by the, by the time that happens, they've already been focusing so hard for so long against again probably the best team in the world at the moment. And if you let your concentration dip for a second, which is what happens when you're tired, you're screwed. And it's gone. And yeah, I, so I can see both sides of that. It's so frustrating because they've worked so hard to get into the position that they were in them. I'd agree with that. And I think that there is that mentally and psychologically you shattered. Now, I know there's been so much of a debate over the course of the last few weeks and repeatedly Newcastle are getting caught out in that number 10 position. They were quite early on in the season at certain moments, but you've had it over the course of the last few weeks when they were playing against Nottingham Forest. Morgan Gibbs-White kept on picking the ball up in that position. You had it, you've had it probably against the very best, best opposition and you had it when Kevin De Bruyne came on. Now, I saw a lot of people talking about how influential Phil Foden was in the first half and he did get on the half turn, but I actually think Newcastle then managed to deal with that situation well. Yeah. The, the, the thing with the number six to 
debate is it's a valid debate, but it's also you will then fundamentally shift the way Newcastle play. And maybe they need to fundamentally shift the way that they play. I'm not saying you don't. But if you add a number six, an out and out number six on that side, Newcastle can't do what they do at the moment. And that means that you get leeway elsewhere. Now, maybe that's the next stage of the evolution. Maybe they actually have to, to do that. Rodri plays for Manchester City. Other teams tend to have that sort of player who sits deep and Newcastle don't. But if you do do that, other things will be affected because of it. And and that's where I think that it's not just... The immediate answer is not just going to be you bring in a number six and suddenly Newcastle will be sorted. Because in an attacking sense, they'll probably be negatively affected by that. But it, it, I agree it's something that needs to be looked at. It needs to be worked at going forward. But I don't think the answer is suddenly you bring in Calvin Phillips and every single problem suddenly goes away. No, I, I do think that Calvin Phillips could make a difference and it gives Newcastle the ability to play a 4-2-3-1 or play with a deep-lying midfielder. But it isn't just suddenly everything is going to change because you've got a number six. No, but we we have to remember, we saw at the start of the season, the reason they brought in Sandro Tonali was to try and change things in midfield a little bit and that when one goes forward, one holds back, you know, vice versa. Now, we hadn't seen that to its full benefit because he got you know he obviously got suspended for a long time and in the meantime it hadn't been it hadn't been massively convincing you would hope that if he hadn't been suspended and was still part of uh, the team and the setup that he would have got to grips with the way how wants to play as exactly as happened with Bruno at the start of his career and then you know with Anthony Gordon for example you know probably more noteworthy and how he's you know turned into Newcastle's probably best player this season and that's been taken away so Newcastle did have this idea of trying to play a bit differently in midfield and they haven't had it but again I think the problem that you have when you sort of look back and you do have to remember all the people that have been missing but theoretically Newcastle's first 11 is good enough to win a match and it's good enough to win a match against any opponents and they're not proving that at the minute for whatever reason so I think it's okay to sort of ask at that point is there a way that they could have changed? Could they have changed the way they play? At the moment, I think that number six does walk into the team because there are moments when the back four is just not getting any kind of protection and yeah. it's too easy for other teams to slice. We even slice saw Sunderland do it a couple of times. Yeah, and I'm not necessarily using Manchester City as the template for that because, as I say, I think actually when you look around it, there, were, there was a lot of improvement. But it, I think those are fair questions to ask. Absolutely. Right then, let's uh, let's move on, chaps. We've taken up an awful lot of time with that Man City chat. Uh, Eddie Howe said, Chris, nothing really has changed in terms of transfers. Is that your understanding of it? Yeah, I mean, I actually asked Eddie Howe on Friday about, I asked him first of all about Dominic Solanke, who Newcastle supposedly the report was that made an inquiry last week. He denied that. And although he said he, he rates Dominic Solanke very highly, obviously signed him for Bournemouth, he basically said, at this stage, Newcastle are not planning to do anything and we can't sign a player of that level. It basically, it wasn't just that we're not planning to do anything right at this stage. At the moment, yeah. nothing is going to happen throughout the Western window. He said things could change. He also then he said not currently was his final sign-off on Saturday. But the issue, it's all to do with what Darren Eels said on Thursday and what Howe himself reiterated on Friday. Newcastle have financial fair play issues in terms of can they actually do anything this month? Will it affect what they do in the summer? And so right now, the plan is not to do anything but really Eddie Howe is going to keep pushing I still think Newcastle will try and sign a player on loan or one or two we'll just have to wait and see whether they can do that in the course of the next couple of weeks Howe also referenced not having any friends and he was basically talking about the fact that uh, I think essentially he, he was asked is there value in the loan market and he said Yes, I think there is that value in the loan market, but maybe not for us. We don't have any friends. And I think what he means in that regard is that basically clubs who they've tried to do business with in the past and get loans from simply don't want to do them. And probably that's a reference to Manchester City and the amount of money they want for Calvin Phillips on loan as well. 
And the interesting thing is that sort of in the within the next two weeks before Newcastle next play, it's it's unlikely as things stand that they'll get any injured players back. So that makes this quite interesting. You know, this makes it quite an interesting period because, as I say, you talked about the po- positivity about Manchester City. Those moments in the first half within the next two weeks can Howe find a way of using the players that he does have at his d- disposal to give a ninety-minute performance against a very very good Aston Villa team? Now, based on the first half, I'd be very 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 positive that they can that they can do that. Based on the second, I wouldn't. So that's the thing. He has to use the same bunch of players he's got now. Can he find a way of getting a 90-minute performance, a 93-minute performance out of that team? Yes, that is the big question. Uh, right then, Chris, you're going to have to shoot off, aren't you? Bless you. It's some sort of meat-based emergency in the northeast. Uh, basically, I am going to cheat on you all, and I've been asked to go on the Athletic Football Podcast, and so we've overrun po- uh, in terms of our recording. So I'm going on there. All right, so they're, proper they're more important to you yeah. rather than George. They're more important to you than yeah, us. Yeah, I'm going to do the full podcast in my uh, native language. Uh, the bright lights and the glamour. You've been seduced, Chris, to the dark side. It's disgusting. Wow, unbelievable! After all the years of development we've put into you, and you just drop it. He's just off. He's gone. Yeah. He's just off. Well, enjoy drop it, of Chris. Hat. Drop of a chapeau. First drop of the chapeau, he's off. Enjoy, Chris. Thank you very much. Have a lovely day. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Newcastle's women gave their astonishing unbeaten record its toughest test yet as they travelled to Lee Sports Village on Sunday for a lunchtime kickoff against Manchester United in the Adobe Women's FA Cup. Newcastle gets us underway here. Here comes Toon. Lovely effort on goal. And a fine strike from the England international. It's taken a while, but Manchester United do have the vital goal here. Toon again, fizzes in the cross, and Manchester United have goal number two. Well, the first half belongs to Ella Toon. Two moments of real quality. Letizia's cross, and Nikita Paris does have her second goal after having one cancelled out at the end of the first half. This one will stand. And Manchester United will make it three. Breaking away on the right, Mallard. Low cross in is a good one as well. Golton into Williams, who rattles the frame of the goal. And on the follow-up, makes sure. There's the flick on at the front post. The corner delivered in. Just where Mallard wanted it. And goal number five arrives for Manchester United. It's a statement win from last year's beaten finalists. In the Adobe Women's FA Cup. 
Uh, a bright start. Newcastle pressed with intent in the opening minutes and Manchester United looked a little bit shaken, but the fairy tale wasn't to be and the hosts gradually imposed their will on the game, getting steadily more dominant. Uh, we didn't land too many blows. However, they didn't look completely outclassed and ultimately came away with positive sentiments. Uh, Becky Langley said this, I think as a collective, you saw the effort. We went toe to toe for the first 30 minutes uh, when we pressed them really well and we are really proud of that as well. It's just a great experience and it's something we'll learn from. George, uh, shame for the lasses to go out like that, but ultimately they can be very proud, can't they? Yeah, I'd just like to give a shout out to our producer, Ollie, who is an incredible man. I mean, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, that's largely down to his technical wizardry. I mean, he is an absolute genius. However, at 12.15 on Sunday, he said this, was interested to see dynamics of this game. We have a proper chance to win. Shows what he knows, doesn't it? <laughs> so he is perfectly capable of being as absolutely hapless as the rest of us are. I just want to point that out. Excellent. The first thing to say is that after that astonishing unbeaten run throughout the whole of last year and then taking it into this year, you just you have to take a step back and celebrate that. I mean, I remember it's it's the wrong club, and I apologise. I remember Sunderland went on a very long winning run under Peter Reid or unbeaten run under Peter Reid, and then they lost, and he made them all drink a glass of champagne in training the next the next morning, which I thought was like a nice touch, and it was to sort of say congratulations and we go again. And I think, you know, I, I think it should be absolutely that same sort of... Um, theory, that same sort of thinking from the from the lasses. They've been sensational. This was a massive step up against a team, yeah. uh, two divisions above them, but vying to be at the top of the of the game. I think you saw a lot of what was really good about this Newcastle team, the way they play, the way they want to play, the way they want to represent the team and the club. And um, you know, I certainly don't think. It's a cause of negativity, even if even if the game didn't go the way they wanted. They're playing against a very good team. The big test now for Newcastle is to try and bounce back against Forest yeah. this weekend. That is a massive game Huge. for them in terms of league. They're in the third tier, we have to remember that. And um, yeah, I'm going to be hanging around with them this week like a bad smell and uh, <laughs> doing a big piece around the women's team, which I'm really looking forward to, something I wanted to do for a long time. And um, we'll include some of that on the pod next week, I hope. Yes, definitely. Uh, and a word for that away support as well. Almost 1,500 Geordies made at the largest away contingent Manchester United women have ever had. Uh, unfortunately, the Jobsworths on the gate wouldn't let war flags bring their flags in, uh, but they never stopped singing and they made a massive impression. Connor Roberts, uh, who's a Manchester United podcaster said by far the best fans that have come to the LSV this season can't wait for Newcastle to reach the WSL because I feel it'll push other clubs to bring this kind of away following uh George they they are supported like not many other clubs in the women's game aren't they the Newcastle oh uh, it's just brilliant I mean it's it's you see it you see it for home games Kingston Park attracting big crowds uh big family kind of crowds it's it's brilliant it's passionate it, it represents Newcastle in the way you'd want it to do and it's you know there's a there's a great parallel between the men's team and the women's team not just in the way they play and want to play but with the support they get I mean that was just a wonderful effort for so many people to kind of get down six o'clock in the morning the buses left from St James's Park I mean that's that's dedication isn't it yeah it was great it was again there were sort of um similar scenes to the big quantity of buses going across the men's game at Sunderland it was just it's just yeah it's just really good the women's team are absolutely up there in terms of the big success stories at the club since the takeover now it's just time to refocus on the league and uh, and beat Forest with any luck yes fingers crossed for that right back in a moment to talk about Alexander Isaac and our mate Alan from work 
Well, the Newcastle United fans here have been vocal, have shown their support all the way through from way before kickoff, and they will continue to do so all the way through to the final whistle in this game and beyond, you would imagine. There are certain teams across the women's football network that are incredibly well supported and the atmosphere within their stadiums is superb. Newcastle certainly one of those and they've uh, really brought it here. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, then by now you've all seen the pictures and hopefully the subscribers amongst you will have read the piece. Alan from work, a.k.a. the line of Gosforth, a.k.a. Alan Shearer, Newcastle's greatest number nine, assisted by our very own dynamic duo, sat down with Alexander Izak. Tell us all about that, George. Yes, what a privilege this was. What an honour. We've been trying to sort this out for a while, but it was an interview between Alan from work and Alexander Isak. And the idea behind it was we wanted to go back through Isak's goals, I mean, from this season, but also beyond. So we took in a laptop with clips on it and they both watched through his goals, which is great because you're talking about a master craftsman, talking about some of the technicalities with Isak, who Alan loves. I mean, and why wouldn't you? Because he's just, I mean, he is absolute quality, isn't he? And when you look back through those goals, you do see you do see the sort of the technique, the, the way he strikes the ball. His quick feet was the thing that sort of Alan keeps referencing and again the way he manages to get the ball from out of his face anyways we talked about that but we did it in a way that hopefully sort of tells Isak's story and tells Newcastle's story not just this season but but beyond and of course if you listen to last week's pod or the second pod last week you'll have heard Alex practicing as Geordie which was very funny particularly after the Sunderland game and then you know we saw again this weekend what a brilliant finisher he is so it was just it was just great to to be back there and just one very quick thing we also got to be in the kind of new reception at the training ground which is beautiful and airy it's got these meeting rooms off it you get to see how that training ground is being transformed which was interesting too. Alan asked Alex uh, where you would rank the feeling of scoring against Sunderland have a little listen to this. It's probably the top, at the top, really? yeah. You know, looking you at standing in front of those fans. I mean, there's six thousand yeah. fans there. Yeah, it the must have been pretty epic. Yeah, it? it was so good as well because we were allowed to have so many fans. Yeah, and yeah, for me also to score in the second half where we was in front of them it was amazing. To be fair, and left foot and right foot. Did you? Um, I mean, the, the first one's a, a great finish with the uh, mm. with the pressing. sort of what instinctive you picked your spot you knew where it was going to go yeah it was more like instinct yeah obviously I wouldn't choose to like put it top corner because it might go out outside but I didn't really think I just tried to hit the ball as good as possible you know and yeah I think it's more like instinct
And what about your penalty technique? And you've got this great knack of opening up your body and not knowing shaping to go one way mm. and really comfortable either putting it that way or whipping it to, to in there. Did you know where you were putting it even before the game? Had you worked on that? This one I'd done the training session the day before. Oh, you knew where yeah. you were going to put it, yeah? I'd done it like that, just decided to go there. But yeah, I tried to mix it up a bit so I'm not too pre predictive enough. For, for I've been lucky enough and unlucky enough to miss a penalty against Sunderland at oh, home yeah. in the New Sunderland-Newcastle game. But yeah. my last ever kick of a ball was at the stadium alive for a penalty mm. in the second half so I've, I've been both sides of the um, of the fence scoring yeah. and not scoring so I was delighted when I see it going I mean it, your technique there is are well, you looking at that side to try and fool the keeper to, to think that I'm going to whip at that side or no I think I think I didn't look, I didn't look there but I kind of placed my body right towards that that side are you enjoying Newcastle you did you know much about Newcastle before you came? Did you? How are you finding it? I'm loving it at yeah. the moment. Uh, you know, last season was was amazing, and this season it's been it's been good as well. You know, obviously we've struggled a bit in the league, uh, yeah. but I think the experience, uh, what we're doing, you know, with this team, we played Champions League this year. I think the journey is is really is something you enjoy, mm. and I can sense that like within the squad. Um, but yeah, obviously it's. It all comes down to results, and you know it's, it's going to be exciting, you know. To did you know much about in terms of Newcastle, who and what it was in the area, and the fans, and how passionate they are, and and, and everything else before you signed? Not too much, to right. be fair. I knew about like in general English culture uh, with football, and I knew some bits about Newcastle, um, but not like especially about the city and about the the fans. And what about your the transfer fee is? By far, a club record sixty million, sixty million quid. Mm. Do, do you think about that? Does that affect you? Does it give you confidence? Does it, or do you not bother about it? No, I'm not. I'm not really bothered about mm. it. Uh, I think now it's now. I don't think about it at all. Maybe in the beginning, it's something you're aware of. Um, yeah, whether you see it like as pressure or not. I think even if it was uh, a low um, amount yeah. that I came for, it was. I think the pressure I would have on myself would be would be the same. So that's how I try to see it. Like I want, I want to be the have the highest expectations on myself. And what about goals? I mean, I I used to live for goals, and if I didn't score goals, I didn't sleep. You've got a great record. I think better than one and two. Is it something better than one and two? No. Um, how much do goals mean to you? No, I think it's. If it's, you don't score, do you not sleep at night? Is it is it is it that bad or is it or I think it comes down to like, that sums up a bit my performance, like if I don't score then other things yeah. doesn't feel as, yeah. as good, yeah, yeah. you know, but then also I think me as a player, I want to do so much more like within the game and I think when I'm involved and when I feel connected to the game, that's when I get to my chances and that's when I feel like I get more confidence to score as well. So I try to focus on that first, yeah. Um, but yeah, ultimately scoring is the most important for me you know, mm. and that's, that's what gives me the most confidence. We're going we're to come on to some of these subjects when we go through more of the clips. Right. On, the, on the Sunderland thing, we have done our research, haven't we Alan? We have. And we've talked to like, <laughs> a couple of the Geordie players and they say that they're, they're trying to teach you a bit of Geordie, is that right? <laughs> yeah, actually. I learned a bit last season. Tell us. Cause um, some of the words I know. Yeah, yeah, some of the phrases. We need to see how good you are. Um, 
Ari Bokit. That's one. Ganyem. And that's that's quite similar to Swedish because uh, yeah, the Vikings or whatever that. Ah, yeah. But uh, home in Swedish is Hem. So some some of some yeah. of the words like uh, are quite similar. Uh, some natural. Yeah. So natural. Yeah. Something more. Uh, Oh, I have to think. Yeah, but <laughs> okay. Oh, there's some words. Very impressed. Yeah, that's, that, that, yeah, that is that is very good. There we go. Uh, you were interrupted by Eddie Howe as well, George. Is that right? Uh, he and Alan agreeing that skiing is rubbish. I think I can agree with that definitely. Uh, and that Alex needs to add scruffy goals to his game. Yes. So Alan had 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 a spell skiing, which of course you're not allowed to do when you when you're a footballer. So you can only ever do this uh, when you retire for sort of insurance reasons. Yeah. And by the time ex-footballers do go skiing, their knees are totally screwed. So <laughs> so anyway, yeah. but but he got up at like one o'clock in the morning to get back in home to to watch the Sunderland match in the pub had, had Alan. So they were having a laugh about that. And yeah, I I just thought that was a sort of that was a fascinating moment. You got this insight into the way Eddie Howe looks at players, manages players. So he sort about, you know, talked about what a talent he was. He told this funny story about how he'd sort of dumped Sven Botman on his backside in training that day. <laughs> but he also said, yeah, he needs to get scruffy goals. He needs more tap-ins. And you've got a bit of that sort of sweetness and a bit of the sharpness about how to. And Isak agreed with him. He said, yeah, I've got to score. I do have to score more of those goals. And it's something that he talks a lot to the manager about. They go back through his clips and yeah, it was a good, it was a nice moment. That yeah, the manager does have uh, high hopes for our Swedish front man, doesn't he? Uh, have a little listen to this. Yeah, I mean, the goal was very reminiscent of Alan. Really, the top, the finish that he delivered. He can go on, I think, to achieve incredible things in his career. I think he, he's got so much more to offer. He's probably getting back to a hundred percent fit. I wouldn't say he's totally there yet. He's had his own injury troubles this season, but the, the last two performances and the goals that he scored. Offers a glimpse, really, of his capabilities, and um, he is really the all-round striker, in my opinion. Yeah, interesting that one, George, isn't it? He's, he's going to be constantly pushing him, isn't he, to get better, to, to progress, to, to, to develop. Uh, but he's got it in him, hasn't he, Alex? The, the potential is still there, and still such a young player as well. Yeah, he's got absolutely everything. Could he get more of those ugly goals? Yeah, he probably could. Could he Could he get more headers? Yeah, he probably could. But he does absolutely have everything you want from what Alan would term a modern forward. He's not an no. out-and-out centre-forward. He's not a number nine in the sense that Callum Wilson's a number nine, albeit Alex said that that was his favourite his favorite position. The thing about injuries is, again, not trying to make excuses, but it's important to remember because he's having to get fitter whilst playing in the team. Yeah. The same as applied to people like Dan Byrne, who came back from his injury too early and and has, has you know has, has admitted that himself. So we do have to remember that players are coming back sooner than they probably should in an ideal situation and are having to kind of get match fit while playing. But he is a special, special talent. And he is. Yeah, just hopefully he can stay for as long as possible. Absolutely right. Then that's about it. Uh, why don't you go over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and sign up. Pay just one ninety nine a month for your first 12 months. Uh, we're going to open the floor to questions on Thursday. So get your thinking caps on and give us a shout. And please, please don't just make it all about transfers. Let's have some silly ones. Let's have some serious ones. Get in touch at Pod on the Tyne on Twitter or X or email us at Pod on the Tyne at theathletic.com. Thanks a lot, George. This second half of this podcast has been a lot more calmer and, and it's generally had a nicer energy to it. I don't know why that is. Well, I, I haven't talked about men wrestling in front of uh, open I mean, that fires might naked. be it, yeah. Yeah, and we haven't had Chris talking French, so 
you know, those those two things may have got something to do with it. Every cloud has a silver lining, doesn't it? That's right, yeah. Uh, that's it. Thank you very much for your time, George. You're very welcome. Enjoyed it. Speak to you all very soon from everybody at Pond and the Time. Have a good week. Bye-bye. you've uh, probably all seen the pictures and hopefully the subscribers amongst you will have read the piece Alan from work also known as the line of Gosford also known as Alan Shearer uh, Newcastle's greatest number nine assisted our very own dynamic duo uh, and they sat down with Alexander Isa sorry do that again fuck that Alan from work, a.k.a. The Line of Gosforth, a.k.a. Alan Shearer, Newcastle's greatest number nine, assisted our very own dynamic duo, uh, and they sat down. Oh, fuck, I've done that again. I've, I've read that in exactly the same way that I did it the first time, and I did it wrong. Fuck off. Right, try that again. Assisted by, yeah, put that in capitals. There we go. Try that again. Uh, Alan from work a.k.a. The Line of Gosforth, a.k.a. Alan Shearer, Newcastle's greatest number nine, assisted by our very own dynamic duo, sat down with Alexander Ezok. Ezok. <laughs> so sorry, George. Well, this will be a good outro you would think, for the podcast. You would think reading was easy, wouldn't you, by this point? You would think the reading bit would be the easy bit. Well, you would think it doesn't have to be as difficult as this. I mean, this is <laughs> fucking tortuous. I was 53 when we started, and I'm I now 63. I've got through this. This is terrible. Right. I'm going to go at the top, and I'm going to start again. Right, then, by now, you've all seen the pictures, and hopefully the subscribers amongst you will have read the piece. Alan from work, a.k.a. The Line of Gosper, a.k.a. Alan Shearer, Newcastle's greatest number nine, assisted by our very own dynamic duo, sat down with Alexander uh, Tell us all about that, George. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic.